You're listening to a message provided by Antioch Bible Baptist Church in Gladstone, Missouri. We intend this to be a helpful resource to you as you grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. This is intended especially for those who are unable to attend our worship gatherings and therefore were unable to hear the teaching of God's Word. This should not replace your gathering with our church as a member. If you're checking us out for the first time and are looking for a church to visit, we hope that you enjoy this content and that it impacts you personally. Thanks for listening. On Friday night, our family was watching a Dude Perfect video, the recent one that had come out, um, and we're enjoying that together as a family. After finishing watching the Dude Perfect video, somehow we ended up watching music videos as a family. I'm not really sure how we started in Apple Music and we were watching some more current Uh, music videos, and then we ended up back on YouTube searching some of Ruth and I's days of music videos, you know, uh, Boys to Men, uh, All for One or something like that. what what who who was the there's one song where it's like that's our song and I was like oh that's our song yeah that is our song uh I can't even think of the girl's name now that's how engaged I was in the watching the videos we watched what is it we are the world right was that from like the 19 somethings 85 thank you yes we are the world we watched that and kids are like this is a classic I'm like what like okay whatever you know so we're watching these music videos and we come to the end you know it's like okay it's time to go to bed and I don't know how we got to this but we ended on uh the song called The Prayer by Celine Dion and and Andrea Bocelli and here's why this song we ended on this song Ruth's like play that song why because that was sung in our wedding and so for Ruth and I the the prayer by Celine Dion and Andrew Bocelli is a forever song for us. I can never hear this song. If you've never listened to it, you should really go out and listen to it. It's a, it really is a powerful song. And every time we hear it sung, Ruth and I's mind races back to May the 17th. <laughs> I'll pull off my ring and check. May the 17th, 2002. When that song was sung at our wedding. So for Ruth and I, it's a forever song, right? We'll never hear that song and not think of that day in our life. Today, we are coming to a psalm, a song that will be our forever song as believers in Jesus Christ. When you hear this song today, It should take you back to that moment in your life when Jesus invaded your heart and life and you were never the same. This Psalm 30 is known as a resurrection song. The reason it is known as a resurrection psalm is because it is full of contrast. You're going to go from death to life, from help to healing, from anger to favor, from weeping to joy, from night to day, from mourning to dancing, from sackcloth to gladness. You come into this psalm one way and you walk out of it different than when you came in. It's a forever song. It's a resurrection song. 
I would outline the psalm with two simple yet powerful words. Verses 1 through 5 are going to refer to the restoration of us. And then Psalms 36 through 12 will show us the transformation that happens in our lives. You come into the psalm in the depths of death and you come out of the psalm restored to life. You come into the psalm mourning and wearing sackcloth. You walk out of the psalm transformed because you are dancing and wearing new clothes gladness. One verse in this psalm captures the heart of it. As one pastor said, this is the bullseye of the psalm. So if you're thinking of the psalm and what does it all come down to, this one verse is the bullseye of the psalm. Everything is moving towards that from the top to the bottom. It's all pushing you to verse 5 of Psalms 30. This is the bullseye of the psalm. For his anger is but for a moment and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. We're going to hear this over and over again in this psalm. So today as we come to this psalm and we look at the word restoration and we look at the word transformation, we're going to do it through three lenses. We're first going to look at it through the lens of David. So we'll see what David was thinking. Then we're going to transition as we've been doing with the psalms to look at it through the lens of Jesus. How could Jesus sing this song? How could this song be in the playlist of Jesus as he's listening to his Apple Music playlist and this psalm comes up and he's singing it? How does it apply to Jesus? And then last, we'll end with us. So David, Jesus, and us. Let's look at verses 1 through 5 together. First, I want you to notice, though, that David, that the psalm begins with the superscription that says, a psalm of David a song at the dedication of the temple. So they are giving David the authorship of this psalm, but they said the occasion for the psalm was a song of dedication at the temple. As they have done research to see, okay, where did this psalm land at? They're not really 100% sure this word temple means temple. They, they believe it could mean the house of David. So when David built his house, that maybe this was a song of dedication that David sung before he moved into his house. Because we know the temple wasn't built till after David was gone, remember? His son Solomon built the temple, and so maybe this was a song that Solomon sang at the temple dedication, or the second temple dedication that was built in Ezra. Maybe that's when this song was sung. Some believe it was even farther beyond that. The idea is that this psalm was a song of remembrance, of thanksgiving, of praise. As they're getting ready, whether it's David's house, whether it's the temple, whether it's a future festival that they would have as a Jewish people, this was a song of thanksgiving, a song of remembrance, a song of dedication to the Lord. The language of this psalm is one to describe crisis and rescue. It's to be understood as a poetic psalm rather than a literal sense of, of a song. Like, yes, these things happened in David's life, but it's written in such a way so that you and I could put ourselves in the psalm and sing the song from our heart as, as well. And so this is how they started with a psalm of David, a song of dedication, very generic in its wording, but it's pointing us to something great. 
verse 1 says, I will extol you, O Lord. Go down to verse 12. It ends with, O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. So David puts bookends on the psalm by starting with saying, this is a song of exaltation. I'm lifting the Lord high. I will exalt the Lord. And then he ends it with, I will give thanks to the Lord forevermore. So praise and thanksgiving are sort of the bookends of the psalm. Then David says, O Lord, you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You, you restored me to life from among those who go down in the pit. You'll see that David says in verse 1, you have drawn me up. Verse 3, you have brought up my soul. The, the picture here is of a, a bucket that they would put down into a well that they would draw up water from. And David says, I was in the pit. I was headed towards death. It seems as if maybe there was a physical ailment of David. He was heading towards death and the Lord has reached down and pulled him out of the pit and restored him to life among those who go down to the pit. Then in verse 4, David says, and calls the congregation to sing with him. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, give thanks to his holy name. David says, as I thought about my life, and my life was in the pit, I was in Sheol, I was headed towards death, the Lord came down to me like a bucket goes down into a well and pulls out water. He came down to me and pulled me out of the pit, out of death, out of Sheol. How does Jesus sing this song? Well, if you go to Acts chapter 2, and you come to the sermon that Peter gives at Pentecost, Acts chapter 2 and verse 22, Peter is going to use Psalm 16, but he's giving hints to Psalm 30 as well. And this is the message that Peter gives at Pentecost. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So Peter is saying Jesus has died and he went to the grave and he's come out of the grave. He's been lifted up out of the pit. Yes. He's been lifted up out of death. Then in verse 25 through 28, he quotes Psalms 16. And I would just point out to you verse 27. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. So he quotes Psalm 16 and saying Psalms is Jesus' resurrection is a fulfillment of the Psalms. Then look at what he says in verse 29. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us today. 
He wasn't lifted out of the pit. He's still in Sheol. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. As Jesus is singing Psalms 30, he knows that his father will not abandon him to Sheol. He will not leave him in the pit, but he will restore him to life. Peter is saying to them, ultimately, David went down to the pit and stayed there. But Jesus went down to the pit and he did not stay there, but he was restored. So Jesus could sing Psalms 30 and verse Three and say, oh Lord, you have brought my soul up from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down the pit, which leads to us. You and I were created for a relationship with God. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 and you find the creation of man. And why were we created? We were created to be in a relationship with God. So you get a picture of the garden. What do you see in the garden? They're walking around, communing with God. So as they would go to work, God would be there with them as they were at work, right? He'd show up and they'd talk while they were working the garden. He was always with them and there was this perfect relationship because that's what they were created for. They were created for relationship with God. And then what happens in Genesis chapter 3? Genesis chapter 3, the Bible says that Adam and Eve desire to be like God they say this whole being under God is not our thing we'd rather be God and so they sin they eat of the fruit they they take it on themselves to do we're going to make ourselves God and at that moment our relationship with God was broken because of sin And so the Bible says that all of us are born with a broken relationship with the one that we were created to have a relationship with. So what do we need? Restoration. We need someone to pull us out of death. We need someone to pull us out of the pit so that we could be in right relationship with the one we were created for. And how do we do that? We couldn't do it on our own. As much as we try to climb out of the pit, we'd always fall back down into the pit. But God, in His mercy and His grace and His love, sent Jesus to come into the pit. As we would say, to die the death that we deserve to die. And three days later, come out of the grave so that in return, He could pull us out of the pit. He could pull us out of death. And Romans chapter 5, verses 10 and 11 puts it this way. For if while we were enemies, we we didn't even want anything to do with God. We didn't want him to come into the pit and get us out of the pit. 
We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. We were restored to a right relationship with God through the death of his son. Much more now we are reconciled. Shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have been restored to right relationship with God. So now now you and I, because of Jesus, can sing Psalms 30 and verse 3, O Lord, you have brought my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. We can sing this resurrection song because Jesus has restored our relationship with God. Yes. Then verse 5, the bullseye of Psalms 30, for his anger is but for a moment. We see that on the cross, but his, fa- his anger is but for a moment, but his favor is for a lifetime. His grace is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Yeah. Why is there weeping? Why is his anger on us? Well, we sort of see David's thought process here in verse 6 and 7. So, we're transitioning now to restoration, now to transformation. Here's why there is, the Lord is angry. Here's why David is weeping. Verse 6 and 7, as for me, David, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you have made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face and I was dismayed. Here's what David is saying. The anger of the Lord is but for a moment. He's weeping may tarry for the night because here's what's happened in David's life. He's got overconfident because look at what he says in verse 6 and 7. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. I'm feeling good about life, David said. I could picture this in the moment when David doesn't go out to war, remember? And he's hanging out on the roof and he sees Bathsheba. Like, I'm good. I'm overconfident. Everything's, God's been good to me. The favor of the Lord is upon me. When he says he's a strong, that idea of a strong mountain is he has strength. Like, I'm feeling really good. I've never been fitter in my life, right? Like, I'm feeling good about life. I'm strong. I'm, I'm confident. And David gets to the place where he's overconfident in himself. And in this moment, there is anger of the Lord and the weeping because David is beginning to sin against the Lord because he says at the end of verse 7, you hid your face and I was dismayed. I was terrified. When I began began to live my life in my own strength, I became terrified because you hid your face. You turned your blessings away from me. I grew up going to a small Christian school and at the small Christian school we would have speech tournaments and at these speech tournaments because it was Christian schools you would have one of the speeches would be a sermon well my parents raised me to be a pastor if you don't know that about my mom and dad my two older brothers are pastors as well so they sort of raised us to be that even though my dad is is not a pastor and so I without having a choice was always put into the preaching competition And my dad worked two jobs and he worked really hard, threw papers in the morning so he'd get up at two o'clock, go throw papers, come back home at five, go back to sleep for a couple hours, go work at Burlington Northern Santa Fe from 7.30 to 5.30. So 
my dad was always going and moving so my mom was actually the one who would help me write these sermons so me and mom would sit down and she would help me write my sermon and then I would practice it with mom well there's this one year that I was a teenager and I my mom had worked really hard with me on this sermon I'd written it out it was like five pages long and in front of like three or four hundred of my peers I thought you know what I'm gonna really impress the judges right because you got the judges up front here and I'm not gonna bring my notes I'm just gonna bring my Bible and I'm gonna preach to this for a judge to get a number one you know I'm a thing not for the Lord but for the judge so I'm gonna stand up and preach without notes that's really gonna impress them they're gonna think how awesome I am so I leave the notes when it's my turn they call my name it's time to go up leave the notes in my seat and I get up in front and it's like, all right, Steve, you can start. And it was like, <laughs> I don't remember what my sermon was about, right? Like I totally blanked. And so here I, I stood there for a little bit, you know, cause it's like, come on, come to me, come to me, come, you know? And it's like, it's not coming. And so I had to literally go walk off the stage. I said, can I go get my notes? And they're like, yeah. I had to walk off the stage, go back and get my notes, come back and let's start this again, right? This is what's happened in David's life. He's got to the place where it's like, man, I, I'm good. I don't need my notes. I don't need the Lord. I'm confident. I'm a mountain. I'm strong. I got this. And all of a sudden, he becomes terrified because he realizes that the face of the Lord, that the blessings of the Lord have been moved from him, that he's began to live his life in his own strength and so verses 8 through 10 are David crying out to the Lord saying this is not how I want to live my life Lord I need you look at verses 8 through 9 to you O Lord I cry to the Lord I plead for mercy that word mercy could be translated really grace because when we think of mercy we think of you not getting what you deserve but the the hebrew word there for mercy is more of the idea of grace that that you get what you don't deserve so you could translate it to you O lord i cry and to the lord i plead for grace and then he says this what profit is there in my death you could translate the term death what profit is there in my blood if I go down to the pit, or you could translate it, if I go down to corruption, this should take us back to what, they, what Peter has said in Acts chapter two when he's quoting this idea of corruption coming. What profit is there in my death or my blood? And if I go down to the pit or if I go to the, to the corruption, will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? What's interesting is when he uses the term dust here, David's mind again, just like last week when he referred to the flood, David's mind again is going back to Genesis chapter 2 and 3 when God tells us we're made from dust. Amen. And then after we sin, he says, dust you were made and to dust you will return. And so David is going back to Genesis here and saying, will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to be. O Lord, be my helper. Here's the thing. David is not saying here that he is scared of death. What, what David is saying is, I know the purpose of my life, and the purpose of my life is to praise you. And so if I die, and I return to dust, I can't do what you have created me to do, to praise you. 
And so don't let me go to the death. Don't let me go back to the dust because I want to continue to praise you because you have restored me to life. I want to continue to praise you. And why does David want to continue to praise him? Look at verse 11. And this is the transformation. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth. The idea of sackcloth is they would wear burlap. So if you go to Sam's Club or Costco and you buy Basamonte rice, it typically comes in a burlap sack. They would literally wear clothes like that. So they would make clothes out of those burlap sacks and it was a way for them to show mourning and grief. And so David says, you have turned my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and now you have clothed me with dance, with gladness. Verse 12, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. You could say that my heart may sing your praise and not be silent. David says, I can't help but praise the Lord. Why? Because he has transformed my life. I came in mourning and now I'm leaving dancing. Hallelujah. I came in wearing sackcloth. I came in with grief and mourning and now I'm wearing the clothes of gladness. Recently, I saw a video of these men who were taking homeless men who had been homeless for years and they haven't taken baths for maybe months and their hair is matted and their skin is, is, is thick with dirt and they would take these men and they would take them to a hotel and they would let them get a shower and they would comb and they would uh, cut their hair and give them a, a shave and they would feed them and all of a sudden they would show a picture of before and after and it was like that's not the same man. And that's what David is saying here, is he's saying, I'm not the same man that entered the song. All right. I looked like this, but now because of the grace and the mercy of God, this is how I look. He has transformed my life. As Jesus is singing this song to his father, and specifically verse 9, he's saying to his father, what gain is it if I die a violent death and just return to dust? There would be no gain in Jesus' death without the resurrection. If Jesus had stayed in the grave, the cross would have been worthless. It would have been a loss for us. So without the resurrection, Jesus could not be our Savior. Without the resurrection, we would still be in our sin. Without the resurrection, Christ would not have triumphed over Satan and crushed the serpent's head. That's why Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, that God sent him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. His anger is but for a moment. You see that on the cross, but his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Because Christ has risen from the grave, we can sing this song. Our lives have been transformed. We are no longer destined for mourning or sackcloth, but because of Christ, we are now destined for dancing and gladness. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Say that. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 
You have been transformed by Christ. Peter speaks of this in his letter in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verses 3 through 9. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. That's becoming a new creation to a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. So he's saying rejoice in the fact that your life has been transformed. Say that. And that there is a future inheritance waiting for you. But listen, he doesn't end there. In verse 6, he says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found, what? To the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He is saying, listen, There's an inheritance coming, but you still may and will experience death. But just know, it only comes to your house for a little bit. You may experience crying out for help, but just know it just tarries for the night because joy is coming in the morning. He's saying, just so you know, there may be a moment in your life where you experience the anger of the Lord because you have turned, because you become self-confident. But just know that it only will be for the night because his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may come to your door and knock on your door and walk into your house and want to hang out in your house. But just know that it only is for a little bit because joy will come in the morning. Night may come to your house as a follower of Jesus Christ, but just know night won't stay there forever because day will come morning may come to your house for a brief moment but just know you won't always be wearing morning clothes because one day you're going to put on wedding clothes and joy will come in the morning you may wear sackcloth for a little bit but just know those aren't the clothes you'll wear forever the clothes that you will wear forever is gladness because we have been transformed by jesus therefore we experience this life different Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. We walk into the song, coming to a funeral, we leave at a wedding. Say that. We walk into the Psalms 30 on Good Friday, and we walk out on Easter morning. This is our forever song. And if this is not your forever song, I want to invite you to join the choir. I want to invite you to sing this resurrection song with us because this is our forever song. The Christian life is a life of restoration, being restored to a right relationship with God. The Christian life is a life of transformation that I was once this, but the old has passed away and now I'm a new creation in Christ. We've been restored to a right relationship with God. We've been transformed. And I want to invite you to join in this song with us. This could become your forever song today. This could become the song that you will sing for all eternity. That weeping, yes, may tarry for the night, but joy is going to come in the morning. 
This could become your song today, and I want to invite you to that. And I know Sunday after Sunday, I invite you to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And I know for some, it may get old, but I want you to know I'm not going to stop. Say that, Pastor. Because I have no better news to share with you. There's nothing I can say from this stage that will bring more joy to your life, that will bring gladness to your life, that will bring life to your life, that will bring healing to your life than the good news of the gospel. But you have to make the choice to say yes to Jesus. Amen. You have to join the choir. You have to sing this forever song because you knew you were in the pit. But Jesus came down and restored you to life. You knew that your life was mourning and sackcloth, but now you wear clothes of gladness, and it's all because of Jesus. Join the choir with me. And if you've joined the choir, and you're going through an ugly divorce, and your body is full of cancer, and the prodigal is not coming home, and you feel that life is not worth living, may I remind you of your forever song. May I remind you of your resurrection song. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Father, thank you for our forever song. Thank you for coming and going to the pit. Thank you for coming and experiencing, taking the wrath of God, the anger of your Father that was rightfully ours, that was but for a moment, so that we could experience favor for a lifetime. Thank you for coming and weeping for the night so that we could have joy in the morning. And my prayer, Lord, is that if anyone is sitting in this room, is watching online, and they haven't joined the choir. They haven't, this is not their forever song. And my prayer is today, Lord, that they would put their faith and trust in you. And that this moment would be the moment that they would look back at and say, for me, Psalms 30 happened August the 5th, 6th, 2023. That's when, for me, the forever song became my song. And for those of us that know that, and this is our song, help us to not lose heart. I pray for the noble family today as they watch their mom get closer and closer to transitioning from this life to the next. Remind them of their forever song. There's been many in our church this week who have experienced health issues, heart issues, and they're in the hospital and, and uh, other health issues this week. Lord, may you remind those today that weeping is but for a night. Weeping will tarry for a little bit, but joy comes in the morning. May you strengthen them, help them to not lose heart in doing good. 
for the teacher that is getting ready to go back to school and it's just like walking back into the, those environments and, and the, the stress that comes with those things. I pray, Lord, that you would give them the grace that they need. Remind them, Lord, that when they go through difficulties this year, that those trials are producing in them praise to the Lord, that they're just temporary, but you are eternal. So help them, Lord, to not lose heart. We thank you, Lord, for our study in Psalms this summer. And what a perfect psalm to end on as we set our eyes back to the book of Matthew and we see you as our king. And we begin to move back through the scenes of your life. As we do that, may we be reminded of this resurrection song as we look to Matthew's account of your gospel. Thank you for time together as a church family. I'm so grateful to be a part of what you're doing here. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's stand together. Thank you for listening. You're always welcome at Antioch. If you desire more information, please go to AntiochBBC.org. That's AntiochBBC.org. God's best to you.